Um, Okay, we are going to open up our scriptures to 2 Corinthians 5. If you've got your scriptures, go ahead and open there. Uh, You do have the portion of scripture printed in your worship guide. Uh, But before we get started, we want to just pause and to say that uh, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And for many of us, we pause, and this is the beginning of summer, and so you can tell, you know, half of us went on vacation this week, uh, those types of things, that's all right, you know, because this is the start of summer, and it is a, a time, you know, where we're like, okay, we can actually go into a different rhythm. Um, however, Memorial Day weekend, it all started uh, when we as a country stopped and we pivoted and we, we looked or we focused our attention on those people who actually gave their lives to allow us to, to be free. And uh, so we're known uh, in the West for being a just uh, economic, you know, just boon and then also just a military power. We are known for that. However, the freedoms that uh, these guys died for, one of the the biggest one was religious freedom. So that uh, men and women and little boys and little girls and middle schoolers could all gather and we could sing openly and pray openly and read the scriptures openly without just the, the oversight of some government entity. And so that freedom was given to us by, through the lives of others. And we think it's appropriate just to pause and just realize that this is a, a weekend not just about going to the beach or just about grilling out. It really is the fact that we can gather and we can pray and worship Jesus under the name of Jesus rather than underneath some other banner. Um, we are um, Christians before we are American, right? But we are Americans. Uh, Acts 17 tells us that we dwell, we all dwell, we have a home in the time in which we have. And so God has etched out the fact that you and I are here in America in 2019 and a part of our rhythm is just to pause and, and to say thanks uh, to those who have given their life so that we could freely worship Jesus. Um, so with, with that, uh, we wanted to realize that uh, this, the passage this morning, um, it talks about death and it talks about uh, things that have died. Not soldiers, right? We don't sing to soldiers. We sing to the name of Jesus who literally gave his life so that we can be free. So ultimately, all of our concentration and all of our, our uh, imagination goes to not just reflecting back on what soldiers did, but what Jesus has done for us. So with that, let me pray for us and then we'll open up the scriptures. And so Christ Jesus, um, we pray that we do not take things for granted, but over the, out of the overflow of our heart, we say thank you. Uh, you have allowed us to be free and to worship freely. Uh, we also pause, knowing that we have taken this for granted so often, that there are those in closed countries, uh, places like Myanmar, and places like industrial China, and places all throughout um, the, the East, uh, that um, places in India and, and Africa and the Middle East, uh, there are places even um, uh, that we've never even heard of or cities and people groups that we barely know uh, that cannot do what we are currently doing uh, freely or openly. And so one, we want to, out of our gratitude, we want to say thank you for what you have done for us. And then also we want to use this as a time to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who do not have these types of freedoms, and yet your gospel moves on and continues to grow and multiply. Uh, So grateful for um, their faithfulness when freedom has been stripped away. 
I pray even now for our own boldness inside the freedom that we are experiencing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I'm not real sure where your, your uh, passage is printed. I believe it starts in verse 14. I am actually going to read one phrase from verse 11. Um, this is, again, this is a message about being witnesses, actually being like speaking, using your words to speak to others. And so this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And so that little phrase, if you've got your Bibles open, you can, you can underline that is this idea that Paul is using his words to try to persuade other people. Verse 14 and following says this, for the love of Christ controls us. So Jesus, or for, for Paul is persuaded by something and now we understand what he's persuaded by. The love of Christ actually is controlling him. What Christ has done on his behalf is actually seizing him and holding him captive. The love of Christ has controlled him because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised." Verse 15 is a key moment in our passage. This idea that our life is very, very different because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, we are persuaded, right, to live differently. We're also, we're understanding that what Jesus has done is it has captured us and we are concluded the fact that he now controls us so much so that the control of Christ allows verse 15 to be true. Let me read it again. This is the new vision for our life. And Jesus died for all, that those who live, right, not just believe, but those who live might no longer live for themselves. This is a brand new vision for your life because most of us wake up every single morning and we live for ourselves. We walk in and out of relationships and we walk in and out for ourselves. The things that we consume, whether it's bad junk food or really, really good things we consume for ourselves. The reason potentially we open up our Bibles is for ourselves. We cannot help but the, the fact that we live for ourselves. But what the, what the love of Christ does, it controls us to the fact that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but the object of their affection and the object for the reason that they live is this. They do not live for themselves, but for him, for Christ. The reason we wake up is we live for him who for their sake died and was raised. Why do you live and breathe? Why do you wake up in the morning? Is it for the fulfillment of verse 15, so that you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ. The heart of any witness, the heart of anyone who is actually going to say something has to live their life totally different. You're gonna have to measure your steps and you're gonna have to measure your words. Before you say anything, you will have to be controlled by the love of Christ. This message is about you pivoting or you kind of turning on a dime or for you stop putting something, pausing something so that you can turn toward Christ Jesus because of what he has done for you. 
Would you define your life as being controlled by the love of Christ Jesus? Let us be witnesses. Let us use our words. Let us be the spokesman for God. But first and foremost, let us give our lives to him. Now, here's some just unbelievably famous um, 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 scriptures and, and, and verses. This is verse 16 and following. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We've heard this passage before. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Circle that. You, are, you have been given a message. As Paul persuades, we now own the same type of persuasion because we have been given a message to actually give to others, and that is a message of reconciliation. Verse 20 presses the point that our words matter and that there needs to be words that leave here, here, right? And then here onto others. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are spokesmen for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You hear that? How does God speak to the world How does God speak to the world? God speaks to the world through the words of his people. That's bananas. The fact that he could have used a hundred different ways in which to speak to the world. He sent angels before. He sent dreams before. He's able to just come in visions before. He's able to write things into the sky. But he, but he chooses this, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us. And we are ambassadors for this Christ. God, the one who is triune and before all history, God making his appeal, God making his declaration, God sharing his message through us. We implore you, this is a strong urging, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, 1 and 2 says this, working together with him, again, that's an unbelievably strong phrase, that we are now working alongside the creator of the universe, working together with him, working. I mean, who wants to be on God's side? Who does not want to be on his team? Who don't want to be on his shift or let him be the boss? Who don't want to show up to work with him? So when we wake up, we get to walk alongside and work alongside the creator of the universe and speak on behalf of him. 
working together with him then, we appeal, there's that same word, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. When is a good time to talk about Jesus? Now. Now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you believe it's going to wait, if you believe that you need to push this conversation on, now is the perfect time for our hearts to be rendered, for our lives to change, for us to stop living for ourselves and start giving away something that does not even belong to us, but is actually from God, and we're just messengers of Him. This morning is the last of our series. The idea is that what God is doing in us and through us is so magnificent and wonderful that he has given us very words to take to others. We've talked about what it means to, to be witnesses. We've talked about what it means to be key disciplers. We've talked about what it means um, uh, to be evangelists. We even talked, we are now talking today about what it means to be an ambassador. Words, 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 words. God requires us to use our words to talk about him. We talk about sports, we talk about the weather, we talk about Trump, we talk about all types of things. We talk about what we want to do in our yard, we want to talk about remodeling projects. We talk about all kinds of things, but are we using the breath in our lungs, right? Are we using our vocal cords to actually do the thing that will allow us to come alongside God and to work together with Him? Words. Evangelists, guess what? They use words. Disciple makers, guess what they use? Words. Right? Witnesses, guess what they use? Words. Ambassadors, what do they use? Words. Over and over and over again throughout our scriptures, we understand that we use words. This passage is full of gospel truths. This idea that we are enemies of God. That we are far from him. And the ones who have done all of the wrongdoing to God, we've done nothing to make that relationship right. In fact, we, do, we, we show no, no guilt, we show no shame, we don't plead to come back into reconciliation with him. This passage tells us that when we have made such a, 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 a break in relationship with him, we've done nothing. And yet, the reason that we are reconciled, the reason that we are brought together is because of what God has done for us. He has not given up on us. Instead, he is doing all of the work. Look in verse 18. Verse 18 starts this way. And all this is from God. God makes peace and God brings reconciliation. It is God who is the source of this good news. It is God who is the source of these good words. It is God who is the source of our, the things that we tell others. And so we don't have to, this, we don't have to be cute. We don't have to be trendy. We don't have to be catchy. We don't, have to, we don't have to do all these things to kind of manipulate relationships and words and those types of things. We just say the things that has already been said. We just get to be messengers of the good news of what God has done for us. And so today, very quickly, I want to share with you just two simple paths, two different, 
simple truths of this passage. Number one is that Jesus, Jesus takes our sin, right? And he tells us to talk. All right, that's all you're going to learn today is that how Jesus takes our sin and then he tells us to talk. Coming out of 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following. So first and foremost, Jesus takes our sin. I want us to look at verse uh, 21, very, very kind of, um, we want to put a microscope on this thing. And so if you've, if you've got it, you want to highlight it. If you haven't highlighted it, you want to underline it. If you've got it underlined and highlighted, you want to star it. If there is a passage that is just holding, just, I mean, is bursting with truth, it's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. I mean, it is in just the hall of fame of verses. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first thing we're learned is that Jesus takes our sin. So let's, let's go in verse 21. Let's go to the, to the middle of that. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Who is this that is acting upon our lives? This is he, this is Jesus. And this little phrase that he knew no sin. Who is the one who has given his life for us? Who is the one who has taken our sin? Only the holy one, only the spotless one. Only the one that is pure beyond unbelief. The one who has taken our sin is the one who knew no sin. The Son of God left heaven in all of his perfection and came to earth and lived a perfect life, but he became sin. This is Jesus, the one who has never done anything anything wrong. He's never committed one sin. There's all types of sins. There's sins of, of, of what they call commission and the sins of omission, the sins that are that just out front and in your face and the ones that are more internal. And so think of it this way as the people who kill folks. That's a sin of, 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 of commission in which you just act with just with strongness and everybody can see it. The sins of omission are the things that are inside your heart. Instead of killing someone, you just think really terrible thoughts about them. Or you, you do something wrong, but you don't do something right. Jesus knows none of this. Jesus knows no sin whatsoever, and yet he became sin for us. The man of glory, the one who is perfect, came to, uh, um, came to be sin for us. Christ was made sin for us the perfect one made sin so for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin the fact is that he didn't have sin and god made him to have sin think about that so the the second phrase that you want to look at is not just that he knew no sin but the thing is that he made him to be sin so the perfect one the holy one was actually has become sin think about that Think about just how insane that is, that God laid on Jesus the sin of humanity. He walks into jail. He walks into shackles. He enters the gallows of punishment that he never committed. And think about these words of made, right? Think about made for a minute. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Made. This is creation talk. 
This is what happens at the beginning of time is that God makes the world. He creates the world. He pulls something out. He creates. He makes something new. And here, what God is doing is making Jesus Christ sin. We have a message to tell, and it starts here, that he who knew no sin actually became sin. God made him sin for us. And so instead of resting the guilt on the sinner, all of that guilt and all of that weight fell on the Savior, Jesus Christ. He did not commit the sin, and yet it fell like a blanket on him and surrounded him. The one who was sinless became sin for us. We remember the cross of Christ and the nails that went through his hands. This is Christ becoming sin. We understand that darkness fell over the earth for three hours from 12 to 3. And in this darkness, Jesus was made sin. And we know that Jesus experienced death for the first time separated. And in that moment, Jesus was made sin. Instead of lifted up in glory, he was shoved into a dark cave. This is Jesus being made sin for us. The one who did nothing actually was made sin for us. So what do we do with the idea? What what types of words do we share? The words that we share is not even about us yet. It's all about him who's done all of this for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us all. And so this idea is what is called substitution. Before we understand why we have such an amazing message or something to share is this idea that Jesus became a substitute. Jesus became becomes a replacement. Jesus is the one who takes our place. The one that belongs here actually backs up. This is this idea that Jesus became our substitute. He stood in our place. And so back when Adam and Eve um, committed sin, there was an animal that had to die. And to cover their sin and to cover their shame, that's a substitute. All throughout the Old Testament, there's these Levitical laws in which animals, right, and and offerings had to be made as a substitute for their sin. There cannot be a forgiveness of sin without first punishment of someone. But beyond Adam and Eve and beyond the Levitical Levitical law, we see Jesus first and foremost become the, the substitute for us. He took what we deserve. Jesus takes our sin. For our sake, verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is why Jesus came to earth, to be sin for us. Jesus takes our sins. He takes our sins. And so what happens to us? Look at this. For our sake, he does all this, but what happens to him? So that in him we, right? That's us, that's believers. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be right with 
God. The things that were supposed to be separated are now brought together. The things that are supposed to be opposite are actually in line with one another. And that's what the word right means. It's not just together, but also in line. It means correct, that you are correct. You have a right relationship with God. This is what Jesus has accomplished. And we can only share this through words. The thing that we deserved, Jesus got. And the thing that was God's actually became a gift to you and me. Do you believe it this morning? I mean, do you believe that what you deserved actually fell on Jesus? And then every single gift that Jesus has actually falls on you. Jesus, and your struggle with sin and shame, your struggle with pride and greed, your problem with porn and your problem with greed and your problem with pride and your problem with selfishness and your problem with, and you just fill in the blank, all of that fell on him so that you could just be in line, so that you could be right with him. This is the greatest message the world has ever known. None of us deserve it, and yet he offers it to us freely. And this is what salvation means. This is what it means to be right with God. Jesus making us right. Him becoming our substitute. So Jesus tells, uh, takes our sin, but then he also tells us, right? Tells us to speak. Look in verse 17 and following. We've moved up in the passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. come. Verse 18 says this, all this is from him who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He handed you and I a ministry. And that ministry is what? A ministry of reconciliation. The idea of reconciliation is the two things are opposite of one another. The two things are opposed to one another. And reconciliation actually brings those things together. Like two pieces of fabric being sewn together with thread. This is reconciliation. Like a welder who has two pieces of metal that brings them together. This is reconciliation. Two friends that are on opposite sides of uh, an, an, an argument. Bringing them together. That's reconciliation. The holy God of the universe and sinful humanity on opposite ends of the spectrum, and yet we have been given, handed, a baton, the ministry of reconciliation. We get to tie it all up. We get to weld it together. We get this type of ministry to say, yes, I know you're far from God. I get it. This is our ministry that we get to do. And the people that, that God has allowed to give away this ministry are people like you and I who understand the depths of depravity and understand that we were once far from Jesus and yet we are bringing these things together. God holy, humanity sinful brought together and that is our role. And so how do you work together with him? Chapter six, verse one. You work together with him by being a minister of reconciliation. And the only way that you can be a minister of reconciliation is to begin to talk with people who are far from Jesus. 
and to say there's hope for you. You're resting in your own merit. You're resting in your own goodness. You're trying to climb a ladder. None of that will ever work. The ministry that you have been given to by God is this idea that you can bring lost people, people who are far from Jesus, into a relationship with him. And that's why Paul would say in verse 11 that we are persuading others because we use our life in a different manner. We live it in a different way. And so we've been given this ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There it is. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We are Christ's ambassadors. If you know much about what it means to have ambassadorial responsibilities. That means that you are a spokesman on behalf of the king or a country. And so you show up in a different realm at a different time and you are at the bequest of the king or the bequest of the country. And so you actually have a formal role embossed on you to say, I speak on behalf of the king or country. And so the things that you speak or the things that you say or the positions that you give away are not your own, but they're actually the kings of the countries that you represent. And that's our ministry. And that's what it means to be ministers of reconciliation. Simply sharing with others what God has first told us, to be an ambassador, to be a spokesman on behalf of God. And so are we up to the task? Do we even want to be God's spokesman? Well, if there's no interest in your heart to be God's spokesman, or if you've really not been just wrecked with the gospel, the wrecked with the good news of Christ Jesus, I wonder if you need to just have verse 21 not to settle in someone else's heart, but to settle in your heart. You can't be an ambassador for someone or something if you're not in a relationship with the king or the country. How are you going to get your orders? So first and foremost, do you believe this? Do you believe that God has become your substitute? And if you do believe that, if you really do believe he has become your substitute, then he has given you a ministry of reconciliation that comes with words. This ambassador, he lives and he breathes in another country. He is truly incarnational in that everything he does is on, beh on behalf of them. This is not professional Christianity with some guy with a microphone who has office hours. This is not some idea that you can clock in and clock out of these types of things. God has given you this ministry. He has made you an ambassador. And that means all day, every day, we need to look at our relationships and we look, uh, and look at our words and they need to fit through this brand new filter. Am I speaking the words of Christ to others? And so with this ministry of reconciliation coming under this umbrella of actually using your words on behalf of the king, I want to challenge us all this morning that God has taken our sin, but he has told us to speak 
to use our words and to try and to pray and to beg. And that's why it is we implore you, we beg you. It needs to come with this type of strength. When's the last time you were in a gospel conversation with someone who is far from Jesus? I don't know that answer. However, we cannot dodge passages like this who say, if this is true, if we are in Christ, we have to be this. My guess this morning is that this should be a day of all of our mourning and great sadness to us because we can't remember the last time we shared the good news of Jesus with someone who was far from Jesus. I believe that God is asking our church to repent of these sins. Not the sins of commission where we're striking people and cursing people, but the sin of omission, of not doing the right thing at the right time to the right people. We are God's spokesmen to those people who are wasting away and dying and will be separated from him. Chapter five is a, an entire unit. And if, you've, if you do any diagramming, you realize that there's a bunch of therefores. That means a therefore is always hinging on another thing. And so if you have to go all the way back to the very beginning of chapter five to kind of, kind of find the substance of this first argument or this first teaching. And the first thing that you hear in chapter five is that we are eternal beings. Eternal beings, meaning that we are all going to live forever. And what Paul is trying to persuade these people is that you're gonna live forever and it really matters where you spend eternity. And so verse 10 would say something like this, so that we must, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be a day of judgment in which God will judge us for what we believe and what we do here on earth. Have you thought about the eternal destiny of your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your relatives so much so that you would plead and beg? And have you thought, again, each of us, all of us, are gonna give an account for what we have done, whether good or evil? Have we thought about even the rewards that we will receive because of this good gift, being God's spokesman? This argument, this passage means nothing if we're just all gonna die and just kind of be buried in the ground. This matters a ton if we really believe that our souls will last forever, Paul believed it because Jesus believed it. Jesus believed it because he's eternal. Do we believe it? Jesus takes our sin and he tells us to speak. Are we up to the task? Let's pray. So Jesus, I pray for a great repentance in all of, my heart, in all of our hearts, mine included. So often, Lord, I can find myself 
dodging the hard questions or dodging the hard conversations. Maybe even dodging a friend's of family members. And so Jesus, I pray this morning that we would sense your, your presence now and we would sense the fact that you are calling us up to something. And it's not for us to be unique and it's not for us necessarily to be creative. It's not for us to just be individuals. God, we get to join you with the message that you've already given us. We should take great confidence in this. I'm gonna give you some, some time to think about your relationship with Jesus. Have you made Jesus your substitute? The one who was made sin for you and given you the right, become, that you may become the righteousness of God? If you have never had a relationship with Jesus to this degree where you are following him and obeying him and completely giving your life to him. We've got men and women in the back who would love to share with you the way of salvation. And for the church folk out there who've sat under hundreds of sermons, maybe today is a uniqueness Maybe there's a unique pricking on your heart that, Lord, I've been too quiet. And maybe you've not just been too quiet. Maybe, Lord, I've been silent when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus with my friends and family who are far from him. I'm gonna give you some space, if that's you, to either turn to Jesus for the first time or turn to Jesus now and asking for his forgiveness and boldness to share. And so, Lord, we pray these things in your good name. Amen. And so let's just say that you are the worst witness on planet Earth.